So today, um, today we're starting a series on the church's vision. You know, every week we say uh, we're building a place where people encounter God, belong to a family, and are transformed by the Word of God, right? See, that's why we need to do a series on this, because only about a fourth of you know that. And so what, what does this even mean, you know, and, and why is it that we're building a place? Because it's one thing I, I always say, it's like we're never done. Like we're always building this place. You know, it, it isn't perfect. You know, you're not going to come expecting like this is a perfect church with uh, perfect programs and a perfect pastor because that's just, that, that would be a, a, a lie. That, you know, and, and if you find a place like that, let me know. But, you know, uh, it's hard, you know, and so we either pretend or we just tell you up front, we're building this place and we're building it together, you know. And so the very first thing that we say is we're building a place where people encounter God. And so today we're going to talk about encounters. Why is it important uh, to have an encounter with God and what does that even mean? And so if you open up your Bibles with me, I'm going to read out of um, uh, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 8. We're building a place. You know, one of the things that, um, that I always want to make sure people know is that we want your expectation when you come to church, when you come to a church event, that it is an, uh, uh, that you're expecting to encounter God. If you're expecting, if your expectation is on man, if your expectation is on programs, if your expectation is on great sound quality, if your expectation is on the perfect temperature or chairs that are comfortable enough, like there will always be something to disappoint you. And the, and the programs inside of you, your subconscious would at some point sabotage you enough to tell you, oh, see, chairs aren't that comfortable. Go find another church. Oh, kids program isn't uh, as fun as other place. Go somewhere else. Oh, you know, it's always hot or it's always cold. Go, go, cold, go somewhere else. You know, the pastor's jokes aren't always funny. They go to this other place where they're actually always funny, you know. There's always going to be something, but if your expectation is to have an encounter with God, you will never be disappointed because it is impossible to be in the presence of the Lord and not be transformed. Well, how do people, how do people go in the presence of the Lord and, and not be transformed? It's because they have a hardened heart. And so um, in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. So there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief collector in the region Okay, IRS. And he had become very rich. He tried to get um, a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. said, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. And took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be uh, a, the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before, um, before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So he had obviously cheated people on his taxes if he had four times as much to give each person that he cheated, <laughs> like, right? So what, what we see here is Zacchaeus, right, had an encounter with a friend of sinners, with Jesus, right? And see, when you have an encounter with Jesus, 
it produces a great amount of change in a very small amount of time. Encounters with Jesus produce great transformation, radical change. You know, I want you to think of, of maybe the, your encounter with Jesus when you got saved, right? I remember mine, you know, when I was um, about 60 years old. You know, I grew up in, in a Christian home, and, and I was Baptist, and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 13. And then when I was 16, I got FOMO of everything that my friends at school were doing that I wasn't allowed to do. And so I started living a little bit of a double life, you know, and just like, you know, trying to, you know, partake on Friday and then get cleansed on Sunday, you know? And so, and I was a uh, fear of missing out. Sorry. FOMO is the fear of missing out. <laughs> Thanks for asking that. And so I had an encounter with God when I was 16. I was at a youth conference. I was away from my parents. I was in the midst of, you know, hundreds of other youth, and, and the presence of God was so strong in that place, and, and the preacher said, hey, if you want to see the cross of Jesus, just ask him right now, you know, and he was doing ministry time, and me and, and, and some friends in the front row, you know, we, we went up to the altar, and, and I said, Jesus, show me the cross, you know, what is this about, like, you know, and it was, it was a, a crazy experience. It was like one of the the scariest, craziest scenes I've ever been to because it was like as if I was at the feet of the cross with Jesus hanging right there, knowing that he was in my place and seeing all he had suffered and how he was disfigured and how he was, he was bleeding and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, and that changed my life. It was as if I was there. I had an encounter with the cross of Jesus and I was never the same. I said, there was no way that after knowing what he did and having had an encounter and literally experienced what it was like to be there watching uh, your friend or your master or your, you know, the one that discipled you for three years hanging on the cross for you, for your sin, so that you could live a, a good life, you know, an, a, an amazing life, an abundant life and have eternal life. There's no way that you could go back to living the same way that you did before. So encounters with God produce a great amount of change in a very small amount of time. It's an impactful experience or moment with God that changes the direction of your life or the condition of your lifestyle. See, so that was mine, you know, and my life changed and I went on to be in the mission field when I was 18 and, 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 and it would have been completely different. I probably wouldn't even be here today. But see, encounters with God redirect our lives towards our destiny, towards our calling, towards what he's invited us to do. You know, in Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, verse 12, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You know, so God has a plan for all of us, a destiny for all of us, but, you know, we're just kind of in life by default. And unless we have an encounter with him, our life continues to be in the same place. We need encounters with God at every turn because he called us to do life with him. So life will present us with situations and opportunities to encounter God in a new way. If you learn how to handle life situations with God, you will know God more intimately and you will navigate life in more victory than battle. You know those people that sometimes are always in a battle? They're always in a battle, always in a battle, always in a battle. 
know, I want to be more in victory and in rest than in the battle. Because battles don't necessarily have to be very long. Just like the Israelites didn't have to be 40 years in the desert. It was only about what? 10 day? It's a 10 day trip, right? Which, by the way, hi, Ashley and Carly. <laughs> you know, that Power Academy we do on Wednesdays, it's, it's from them. So thank you for that. You know, thank you for that. That's, that's a blessing from their ministry to all churches. Um, anyway, so it was just a 10 day trip, and they were there for 40 years. You know, so that tells us that a lot of times it is us, the ones holding out battles that don't have to be that long and struggles that don't have to be that long when they could have been, you know, just a quick battle and be in victory and in rest longer, right? They could have gone into the promised land a lot sooner and entered the rest of the Lord a lot sooner, but they didn't. They were stubborn. They were disobedient, right? They forgot Something really important, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but they forgot the miracles. They forgot the encounters that they had had with the Lord coming out of Egypt and in the desert, and they would forget those things. They were irresponsible. We need to also be responsible for our encounters with God and not forget them. So in other words, they had mountaintop experiences with God, like the sea parted right in front of them. They had food coming out from heaven every day. They had water coming out of the rock. Their enemies were annihilated completely by the Lord. They watched these things happen and then they forgot about them and then went back into complaining. Which tells us that we have the responsibility to carry our encounters and keep them present with us so we can live out of those encounters with God and go into the next place in life. If we forget those things, we might end up like the Israelites stuck in a, in a very long battle that we didn't need to. And so <clears throat> if we learn how to handle those situations with God, we will know God more intimately. And I, and I want to uh, look at, at the lives of a, of a few men in the Bible um, that had encounters with God. Not only did the direction of their life change, not only did they go and start walking in purpose, but also the condition of their lives and the, and the way they knew God was different. See, every time you have an encounter with God, you get to meet and know God as something new or different or deeper than you did before. When you know God as your Savior, right? You, it's like the first encounter we have. It's like, wow, this is the gospel. These are the good news. I did not know this. Now I know that there's a Savior, that He died for me, He rose again that I don't have to live in sin my whole life, that I don't have to live with a guilty conscience, I am set free, and you encounter him as your savior, right? And your, your, the direction of your life certainly changes. You were going that way, now you're going that way, right? Like destination changed. Now you're also encountering purpose, right? But that's just the first one. God is not just our Savior. Every name of God, which there's so many names, and we'll see a few today. Every name of God is not just a nickname, but it's, it's who He is, and it's something that He wants to do in our lives. Therefore, every situation we encounter in our life, especially difficult situations, are invitations to know God as something we didn't know Him before. Listen to this again. Every situation you encounter in life, especially the difficult ones, are invitations to know God as something you didn't know Him before. Maybe you lived in the first, first world country, right? And you've never had money problems. 
You've known God as your Savior, but then one day the economy crashes and you realize you're in trouble. Well, that situation, God didn't send it. God didn't cause it. It just happened. Life is full of situations, offenses, uh, the consequences of other people's decisions, right? And in, in those difficult situations is embedded an invitation to go meet God as something that you don't know him before. And so you didn't know God as your provider. Well, now you have an invitation to go know it, to meet God as your provider and have an encounter with Jehovah Jireh. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So there's, okay, well, in Jeremiah 29, uh, 12 and 13, it says, um, in those days, if you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I, I want to clarify something. Um, some people say, well, you don't need to seek God. God's always with you. You don't need to seek him anymore because he's not hiding, right? And then some people say, like, no, it's, it's really hard to find God, you know. And, 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 and then, like, so I don't like to do that stuff. I don't like to, you know, get into that stuff. But let, let me tell you something. Have you ever played hide and seek? Okay, so, so, so there's fun in the search, right? That's why we play, because it's, it's fun to look for and find. Now, God, he doesn't hide from us so that we don't find him, but for us to seek him. Okay? God doesn't hide from us to not be found, but for us to seek. He doesn't hide things from us, but he hides things for us. Okay, I have a friend that he played hide and seek with his, uh, with, with his children once, and he hid so well, he hid in the freezer. <laughs> and they never found him. His wife thankfully found him before he died. But, you know, like, where's the fun in that? It's like hours, you couldn't find him. It's like, ah, you know. <laughs> I would probably do that too, you know. But, um, that's yeah, that's a big freezer, right? Yeah. Have you ever uh, done an Easter egg hunt? You know, you hide them so that the kids can find them. But there is a fun, there's, there's fun in the search. It isn't so they can't find them. I mean, you don't go and, you know, dig a 10-foot deep hole and then cover it up perfectly. I mean, it's, it's not like you're hiding a body, right? And so, <laughs> which nobody would here, right? But you want them to find him, right? As a matter of fact, if you hide a really good prize, like if you ever put a 50 or $100 bill in, in one of those Easter egg hunts, like you want somebody to find them. You want to make it hard enough, but not too hard that they never find it. You know, it's the same way God hides things for us because they're so valuable that only those that seek him and seek his face and, and seek th those things that he has for us, the mysteries that are not just plainly put out for everyone are reserved for those that have hunger that say, I want more. There's got to be more. I mean, we're talking about the infinite God, the creator of the universe. There has to be so much more, right? And it's in that seeking and finding, right, that you get to know God as new things that you didn't know him before. And so when situations present themselves, like, you know, like, like my situation, you know, I got in an accident. The Lord didn't you know, kick me off a cliff or anything like that, you know, 
I got in an accident. It was a situation that life presented, you know, a tragedy. But it was also, I, it, it, and that's why I say it's how we navigate these situations that will either get us closer to God or further from God. Right? And so I could have been offended at God and say, why? But instead, I say, what? What do you want to be to me in this situation? And I get to know God as my healer. Not just my healer, but my comforter. Right? There's times I need a comfort. I, like, everything was stripped away from me. And, and it's like, if my identity was in anything that I did, it was completely gone. And so I met, I, I had an encounter with him as my father, who, who repeatedly told me, you're more than enough. You're not just ministry. You're not just this. You're not just a teacher. You're not what you do. You're my son. And, and, and can I be fully content in the very fact of just knowing him as my father and my relationship with him as father-son, that that's more than enough? So I had an encounter with him as, as new things and in deeper ways that grounded me even deeper, that, that put my roots in deeper place because that situation, I took it as an invitation to know him as something I had never known him before. And guess what? He always came through because, you see, God doesn't just have answers for us. He is the answer himself. He is the way, the truth, the life, right? He's the answer to everything himself. Not apart from him, but with him. Are you following me? Okay, so James 4.8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Isn't that interesting? Like you come close to him, he comes close to you. In Luke chapter 15, you see the story of the extravagant father, right? The extravagant father, interestingly enough, he didn't go chasing him down, Right? But he was at the door every day waiting for him to come back. He drew close, and the father embraced him. Gave him identity back, celebrated him, and didn't keep record of wrong. Didn't throw his past mistakes in his face. Right? So, so that son got to have an encounter with, with a perfect father. And so uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Uh, actually, let me see how we're doing. Okay, we're doing good. Genesis chapter 17 um, and we're going to read verse 1 through 7. You have that back there. So we're building a place where people encounter God, right? We facilitate those encounters. All right. Uh, we don't have, there we go. It says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you, uh, what's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. So just so you know that H right there in the Hebrew language, it inserts joy and laughter into his name. That's a very deep, long study, but God brought joy and laughter into his name by adding that H. Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. 
I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. That is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. You know, if you, if, and if you continue reading, you know, the whole story of his descendants, you know, it's always like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, you know, and then Jesus, and then you, and then you right? Like it's, 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 it's a promise that he made to Abraham. So he had an encounter with El Shaddai, but he also encountered the God of covenant. Right? And it changes life, his direction, his expectation, his future. When he thought, I'm going to die and my family line is going to end here. Now to change to, it's going to continue on forever. So his destiny changed. And I love Abram. You know, there's a reason why he's called the father of faith. Um, let's go to uh, Genesis 22, 13. We're going to read Genesis chapter 22, verse 13 and 14. This is where Abraham now has Isaac and um, his son, the promised one. And God asks him to bring him up and sacrifice his son. And this is so interesting to me um, in verse uh, 13. Here we go. It says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught. So just to, you know, to give you a little more context. So he's bringing up his son. They're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And uh, this was very common, right? And, and, and the Lord asked for this. But the Lord asked to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. Now, this is, is a shadow and a picture of, of Jesus, right? Except God is not asking us to sacrifice our children. But he was testing Abraham's, you know, faith and, and see if he, he trusted him. And so here he goes. He goes up the mountain, you know. And Isaac realizes there's no, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> And Abraham says, the Lord will provide, you know. And they get to the top, and he ties them up. And as he's about to sacrifice his son, you know, uh, verse 7, uh, 13, it says, Then Abram looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it a burnt offering in that place, um, in place of his son. Verse 14, Abram named that place Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, so what did, what did Abraham need? He needed a sacrifice so that he could keep his son, right? And what did God provide? You know, he provided a sacrifice. So Abraham had an encounter with God as his provider. And that's where the name of the Lord is first known as Jehovah Jireh. See, so every name of God is an invitation to know Him as that. You have a need, you need an encounter with Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. You need to know that He is your provider. So when Abraham had this, it, it, you know, it changed everything. And it gave us that name of the Lord to know now His character and nature as our provider. Okay? So... Um, Let's go to Exodus, and um, I want to show you uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Okay, So he was living a normal life, having a normal job, just having a normal life. <laughs> and um, 
It says the priest of Midian, uh, that was that was Jethro. Says he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses started, stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. Verse 4 says, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. See, so this is, this is the encounter that changed Moses' life. Moses was, prior to this, he was raised in the palace of Pharaoh as royalty. He comes down. He knew his, he knew his calling because he defended the Israelites. He, as a matter of fact, killed a slave master to defend uh, some Israelites that were being abused by this slave master, right? So then the slaves start accusing him and they're not very happy with him. So he gets scared and just runs away. He runs away. He finds a wife. He gets a job and he's just living a normal life. He's, he's a shepherd. Okay. Now, interesting because the next thing that happens is he, he runs into God. He has an encounter with God and his direct, the direction of his life completely changes. He goes back to Pharaoh, the place where he ran out of, and now he is confronting him about letting go of all his slaves, the whole nation of Israel. Big change, right? Big change. I mean, how many of us, you know, just, just had a, a nice normal life? Like, we don't want anything to disrupt that. Like, we're, we're just happy where we're at. And then you have an encounter with God, and you realize there's a whole lot more you didn't know about. And it takes some faith to follow God and to say yes to his plan. But his plan is amazing and glorious. I mean, who would not want to see the miracles that Moses saw? Right? Can you imagine? Just like amazing miracles. All the plagues, you know, and you and the nation of Israel untouched and then crossing the Red Sea. And then seeing your enemies completely destroyed without having to do anything. And, the, <laughs> yeah, and then he had an encounter on the mountain with God. And he gave him the Ten Commandments. Like, like, imagine what he would have missed out if he didn't have that encounter with God and said yes to him. See, so it was a, a radical encounter and it completely changed the direction of his life. Interesting also that, you know, he was doing... Um, a similar job. He was, you know, guarding the flock. Now he was going to, you know, move a more complaining, louder flock of two million people out of the, you know, out of slavery and into the promised land and through the desert, right? Similar but different. So a lot of times we are doing a shadow or a type of what God created us to do, but without God, and when we have encounters with him, he takes those same strengths and desires of our heart, but he just redirects them to something that is eternal and not mundane. Um, I have some notes that I wrote down in my Bible, so I'm going to read like this. But 
You know, something uh, about this encounter. Encounters where God redirect our life, they change direction towards something sim- uh, seeming challenging, right? It was challenging for him, like, okay, we're going to go free a nation. Okay, right? Um, what encounters we've got, and we're going to get into this on the third part of, of this of this series, but what an encounter won't completely do is renew your mind. Okay? Just because you get saved and you have an encounter with God doesn't mean your mind is renewed. That happens through the daily washing of the word. There is some transformation. There's some impactful things that happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. But you don't just turn perfect because you had an encounter with God. You still need to renew your mind through the washing of the word. Are you with me? Okay. And you can see that in Moses' life. He didn't become perfect after that encounter. He was still very human. Very, very human. Okay, um, all right, okay, um, we need to remember this, Moses went up the mountain, okay, um, he received the Ten Commandments, he came back glowing, because he had seen God, the back of God. He, he had been exposed to the goodness of the glory of God, and he was glowing in his face, okay? But when he comes down, he completely loses it on, on the people because they had built a golden calf, okay? So, again, you can have an encounter with God. It doesn't mean you're, you're perfected, right? He got angry in the flesh, and he broke the thing that God had just given him, like, you know? It's like, okay, so he had to go back up and get it again. <laughs> I would not want to be Moses in that situation. But what I'm, uh, we have mountaintop experiences. And this is something I, I learned, you know, when I was a teenager. And it, because what we don't want to do is only be depending on, depending on the glorious moments, right? Because then we'll be like those conference junkies that just go from one conference to the other they're never happy because they're always just have to be in the next event and that's not right either there's something powerful about seeking right i saw this post uh and i thought it was so so awesome it says wise men still still seek him still travel to seek him so there's something powerful about that okay but it must not one must not replace the other encounters in the glory of god like it must not replace you being in the word every day Okay, and so uh, I, I learned this a long time ago, and it was that I must not forget in the valley what God told me in the mountaintop. Okay, I must never forget in the valley what God told me in the mountaintop. In other words, we have these glorious mountaintop moments, right? Moment had a, uh, Moses had a glorious moment with God up in the mountaintop. Uh, we've had youth had amazing experiences with God at retreat and at camp. Uh, we've had you know, conferences, we've had worship nights, we've had uh, so many moments of glory that you're like, that was incredible, I could feel God, I, you know, I experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time, I received the prophetic word, and, and, and it changed my life, and impacted my life, right? We need to, like I said at the beginning, we need to be responsible to steward and keep those moments with us, so that when we're walking through the valley of shadow of death, we don't forget that. Because, see, the reason we walk through valleys is to get to the next mountaintop. And a lot of people just give up in the middle of the valley and camp there, and they forget 
that there's another place to go to. There's another place, you know, that God wants to take you. There's another encounter with God. There's another thing that he wants to reveal to you. And so sometimes, you know, I've been in those places and they feel dry and it feels like God's not listening. It feels like he, you know, where is he? I can't hear his voice. You know, has he left me? Has he abandoned me? You know, it used to be so glorious and I don't feel anything right now. And those are the moments where we need to stir ourselves up in the Lord and remember the mountaintop experiences because what God said last is still active, is still current, it's still in place. So you go back to that mountaintop experience and you remember that encounter, remember that word, you remember what he said to you and you carry it with you until you get to the next mountaintop. Do you remember what happened to Elijah? Elijah had a mountaintop experience. He, he, he uh, you know, had this bet, you know, the battle of the gods with the prophets of Baal. And he said, if you guys, you know, if your God consumes this altar with, with fire, then you can kill me. But if not, if my God does it, then I kill you. And they had this showdown, right? And, and if you haven't read the story, you should go read that story. But um, it's, it's quite amazing. Yeah, First Kings. And so... So what happens is these guys, you know, they're trying to get, you know, their God, uh, Baal, to take, you know, consume the altar with fire, and nothing happens. And then he goes, okay, my turn, and, and, and God comes and, you know, consumes the, the altar. You know, even the rocks are just, like, consumed with fire. So he wins the battle, you know, and the rest is rated R, but, you know, he, <laughs> he takes them all out. And then, you know what happens right after that? He runs, he goes hide in a cave because some crazy woman tells him, I'm going to kill you, Jezebel. What happened? You just had a mountaintop experience. You won the battle of the gods, and, and you're hiding in a cave because of, I mean, I know women can be scary, but come on, you know? <laughs> he forgot his mountaintop experience. We're responsible to take those encounters and those mountaintop experiences and not forget him when we're going through the valley and the threats come. Because let me tell you, I've felt the backlash of the enemy, you know, try to come against me after a good victory. You have a big breakthrough, you have a big victory, and you know what happens next? Monday? And the enemy and the lies and the beat down and everything, and you're going down with him and you're all of a sudden forgetting your encounter, your mountaintop experience as if God hadn't said anything. Those things are meant to carry us and take us, you know, from, from glory to glory, from one place to another place. Okay, um, let's continue on. There, there's so many, I mean, when, when you look at, at the Word and you see all the, all the men and women of God, you know, they, encounters with God change their lives. And there's certainly great encounters, you know, powerful ones like the road to Damascus, right? Saul is on the road to Damascus and he's on his high horse, literally, right? And Jesus appears to him and he encounters Jesus and his life completely changes, right? He was persecuting Jesus. He was killing those of, of Jesus's way. And then all of a sudden Jesus encounters him and he turns into Jesus's writer, advocate, preacher, you know, the one <laughs> that wrote, writes most of the New Testament. Like, how does that happen? You know, how does radical transformation happen? You know, it, it happens with encountering encounters with God. And so 
you, you might say, well, how did he make that happen? You can't, you can't make this stuff happen, but we could certainly facilitate him and build a place, you know, where people encounter God, where his presence is there, where we invite it, you know, because it is our responsibility to seek, because if you seek, you find, and if you draw close, he draws close. It's our responsibility to know what to do in situations when all we can ask is, why, 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 God? Let me tell you something. We need to learn to ask the right question. The right question is what? When I ask why, it keeps me at a distance. Why? Why did you do that? Why did this happen? Why? It doesn't feel close, right? But when I ask him what, it's an invitation. I draw close and say, show me. What do you want to be to me in this situation? Because you are the answer to everything. So show me in this situation, what do you want to be to me? I want to encounter you as the very thing that I need to get through this. And when you do that, you get to know that person is a deeper thing. See, when I met my wife, she was just a hot girl walking around. That's, that's all, you know? And she's just like, ooh, I'm like, hmm, she cute. Don't know her name yet, but she's cute. That's all she was to me, a cute girl, right? Then I met her, then I got to know her a little better. I'm like, ooh, she's cute, and she loves God. Check, check. <laughs> You know, then I heard about her vision for an orphanage. I'm like, oh, and she loves missions. Check, check, check. Right? And then um, I got to know her as a friend, and I was like, wow. And she's a really amazing person. Like, she's a good friend, you know? And, uh, and she's still very cute. <laughs> and so on, on those points, you know, <laughs> You know, she loves God, she's cute, and then she likes me, so great. We got married on that. Well, you know, obviously we knew it, God had, you know, put us together, but but that's what we got married on. I didn't know how good of a wife she was going to be, because she's never been my wife, or anybody else's wife for that matter. I didn't know how good of a mom she was going to be, she'd never been had kids or I've never seen her with kids or being a mom to like, right? So I have no idea how she's going to be on those two things. And those are kind of major, aren't they? (laughs) That's the very thing that she's going to be to you and to your children when you get married. And so I only knew her as Kara on fire, passionate for the Lord. And that was enough to start, you know, our marriage covenant relationship right? But as time goes by, I get to know her as something that I didn't know her before. So I got to know her as a wife. There's only one way to do that, right? Marrying her. And that was amazing, right? But I didn't know her as a wife before. I didn't know her as a cook. And guess what? You know, life presents hunger, so you get to know her as something you didn't know before, and you just pray to God, it's good, and it's amazing. <laughs> Many of you can attest to that, right? And then we had kids, 
And more kids, you know what? The mom, a mother of one kid is different than a mother of two and different than a mother of three and certainly different than a mother of five. So every life situation has allowed me to meet and know my wife deeper, wider, you know, as something I didn't know her before. And that's our walk with God. As life goes on and we grow and things happen, we get to know him deeper. It's no longer just a shallow, and I'm not saying, please, I'm not saying salvation is shallow. (laughs) No, not at all. Okay, but I'm saying that's just the beginning. You just met him as your savior. If you only knew he's your provider, he's your peace, he's your joy, he's uh, El Shaddai, he's everything. The one that fights your battles, he's the one that does justice for you, he's your banner of righteousness, he's uh, the, the comforter, he's the power, he's the supernatural, he's all these things. If you only knew all those things, but don't wait, don't worry, you'll have opportunities to get to know him as all those things. Just make sure you don't miss those opportunities when they show up. And you can miss him by asking why, 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 why. Instead, we need to learn to ask what. Say, God, okay, what do you want to be to me in this situation? Otherwise, a relationship with the Lord can just stay very shallow. Amen? Okay, I have a, a few seconds, so. There, there's so many more. You can, um, you can see the woman at the well. She had an encounter with Jesus, changed her life, changed a whole village. Um, and, uh, Peter had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He went from having denied Jesus three times in front of servant girls to now you know, preaching to multitudes and having 3,000 people saved. Um, you can see, um, well, again, there's, there's so many. Uh, Lazarus, he was sick. In John 11, I'm just going to tell you this one is really cool. In John 11, verse 6, Jesus, um, Martha and Mary send a message to Jesus, say, hey, Lazarus is sick, come quickly. Jesus actually stays there for two more days on purpose. Yeah. And he stays there for two more days. And um, when he gets there uh, in verse 32, it says, Mary said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. So what her heart is saying is like, why did you wait? Why didn't you come right away? Right? Verse 43 and 45, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. And everybody saw what happened, right? And it was to the glory of God. And so it's almost as if Jesus ignored the why question. And it happens again with a blind man. He heals a blind man, actually, uh, a few verses before that or a chapter before that. He heals a blind man. And everybody's like, you know, making this fuss about it. You know, it's almost as if, like, if you pay attention, it's like Jesus didn't really answer the question why. But he became what they needed in that moment. See, we're asking the wrong question many times. Why God? Why God? I'm not, I'm not telling you don't ask the question. If you ask the question and God tells you, that's great. But a lot of times that's the very question that keeps us at a distance separated or offended with God. And instead, it's like, okay, God, Jesus, you are the answer to everything. What do you want to be to me in this situation? Holy Spirit, what do you want to be to me in this situation? And what that does, it draws us closer to him. It takes our intimacy with God to another level. Amen? So the ball's in your court. What do we do? We seek him. We draw near. We expect an encounter with him. 
When do you expect an encounter with God? Well, I'll tell you, you expect an encounter with God every time you start praying in the morning, every time you open up your Bible, every time you show up to church, every time you go on a retreat, every time you come to worship night, every time you come to the altar for prayer, every time you expect an encounter with Him all the time because that's hunger, that's saying, God, you know, what are you going to show me today? What are we going to do today? What do you want to teach me today? What do you want to be to me in this situation? What? And we, what we're doing, we're cultivating an environment where people have encounters with God. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, our encounters are not just for us. Our encounters are for others. Moses' encounter wasn't for himself just with a burning bush to be like, oh, this is amazing. I'll make a movie about this. No. His encounter was to set the whole children of Israel free and take them into the promised land. See? Our encounters are not just for us. Our encounters are for other people. And when we carry those, right, when we steward our encounters good, then we also create an environment for others to encounter God. We become vessels for other people to encounter God. We become the ones that lay hands. We become the ones that prophesy. We become the ones that, you know, intercede and cry with others and help others heal. And now we become the encounter to others. We go to a, a retreat, and now, now we're not just receiving, we're, we're serving. We're facilitating other people to have an encounter with God. We are the ministers of reconciliation. And so that is why we're building a place where people encounter God. Amen? You close your eyes for a moment. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to have James come up and dismiss. Father, I thank you so much. Oh, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. God, I pray that we can recalibrate our expectation to be on you and only on you. That every time we, we come to church or or we go on a retreat or, 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 or we're having time alone with you. There are expectations to have an encounter with you. Something that we can say, I heard God. I felt God. He said this to me. He encouraged me. He filled my heart. He was the very thing that I needed. God, that every time, Lord, that would be our expectation on you and only on you. We don't want to have this expectation on men or ministers. We want to have this on you, God. So I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would uh, first bring to remembrance what you said to us on mountaintops. The encounters that we had before, that we would not forget those things, but carry them with us. And that when we find ourselves in valleys of shadow of death or difficult dry moments in our life, that we would remember these things. Until we encounter you as something new, as something we didn't know you before. I thank you, God, that you're the infinite God. And today we just, we repent from even just having the thought that we just know you, we know it all, we know everything about you, we've experienced it all. And we say, God, would you, would you take us deeper and, and show us more and reveal more to us and give us more understanding. But we want experiences with you. We want to make memories with you, God. We want to make memories with you, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you give our whole church family this, this understanding of why encountering you and, and building a place where others encounter you is so important. 
because it's the birthplace of life change. It's the beginning of new direction. We praise you and worship you, God. We thank you. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.